Forte Foundation is a collaboration between leading companies and top business schools to launch women into fulfilling significant, significant careers through access to business education, opportunities, and a community of successful women. Our goal is to connect you to the right people and give you access to the tools you need to have the successful business career you, you deserve. deserve. You deserve. Hi everyone, this is Meredith Hunt with the Forte Foundation, and I'm really excited to share with you this podcast interview I did with one of our 2018 MBAs on the move, also known as our role models. This interview is with Lydia Perez Poole. Lydia is with Procter & Gamble. She is originally from Puerto Rico, and she is very energetic and very positive. Really enjoyed speaking with her, and I hope you enjoy this interview. Lydia, tell me what your title is and where you work. Yes. Thank you for having me. My name is Lydia Poole, and I work for Procter & Gamble in their insights and analytics team. And I lead um, the P&G customer team that supports the Rite Aid Pharmacy. And just as a reminder to everyone, we've already interviewed Lydia and we have a video of her and we also have a profile of her posted on the Forte website. So this is just a follow-up interview. Just wanted to chat about a few things, just a few questions, and I'm just going to dive in. Lydia, when we were in DC, you had talked about originally being interested in journalism. And I just was curious how you went from journalism to engineering and then MBA. You know, you obviously were able to use that interest and those skills while an MBA. And I'm curious if you use them now in your current role. Yes, totally. Um, So growing up, I was always very passionate about, (laughs) funny enough, about reporting and fighting for what I thought was right. And uh, frankly, I thought there were only two ways to accomplish this, by becoming a lawyer or becoming a journalist. (laughs) Um, And and clearly, I did not follow either career path. Um, But in my job today, I still get to do a little bit of that uh, because I represent uh, the the people that work in analytics and insights at, at Procter and Gamble represent the voice of the consumer. Um, So I kind of still get to observe and report, but on what consumers want. So um, a big part of my job actually is that from time to time, we we do research with consumers. We go and talk to them where they are, whether it's at a store um, or even sometimes in their homes, or we ask them to go to a location with us, a coffee shop or, or somewhere to tell us about themselves a day in their lives, what's important to them, what do they value. So although um, there's always a business objective tied to this. I'm trying to learn about how they purchase a specific category or what are their perceptions of a, about a specific retailer. At the end of the day, I'm getting to meet lots of great people, um, getting to understand what they do, what's important to them, why they do what they do, and then to actually uh, report it to someone else and report to report it in a way similar to how um, journalists do it, where they're, where they're reporting on the truth, but they're also gathering information and bringing it to life in a way that's simple for others to understand and that it's compelling enough for others to take action. So you know, in a way, I still am able to follow my passion on my day-to-day job. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. I mean, a, a lot of that, just being a journalist, is having good observational skills and kind of understanding what makes people tick. And it sounds like for exactly. your role, that's the, you know, another kind of a very complimentary skill to have. When we were in D.C., you mentioned that as a woman and a Latina, that you were a bit of a minority in the engineering school, at least when you were going to school. 
I think it takes a lot of confidence to be in the minority and to pursue something. And so I'm curious where that confidence comes from to do those um, things that maybe were not common, you know, for people you were going to school with in Puerto Rico, you know, you just up and went to school in the U.S. and you went into engineering. And that seems like it would take a lot of courage. Yeah, no, um, totally. So I would, I would definitely say, and this kind of makes me proud, but I would say that my confidence comes from the strong woman in my life, um, specifically my mother and, and my grandmother, which both, um, have since passed. Mm -hmm. Um, but it's definitely due to them. And I would also say it all started as a child. Um, so both of them were born and raised in Cuba. Um, and for anybody that comes from an immigrant family, um, and, and to a certain extent that it's coming and moving from your country to a different country to kind of have a, a better future. Um, you kind of, I feel like that gets embedded in you in terms of like the strength that's needed and that you, you do what, what you think is right for you and your family. And so I think it started early on. There's probably a little bit of it, frankly, on my DNA, kind of like those traits that can be taught. Um, But at the same time, just me being able to see them as role models myself, like my, my grandmother, you know, stayed home and she never went to college. But, but even as a homemaker, she was always very strong will, you know, she was a great project manager, (laughs) you know, (laughs) taking care of everything around the house. And even when, you know, when she talked based on her experiences, there were still, you know, those of a, of a very uh, strong woman. She, she was at the backbone of my family. You know, as an example, she actually, my mom passed first, both of her daughters passed and my grandmother lived to be 97. Wow. So after being her entire life in Cuba and Puerto Rico, when my mom passed, she was her second daughter to pass and her husband had already passed. My brother said, you have to move to the U S. So here's a woman, 80 years old, Wow. That's going to move to a country where she does not know the language. Right. And what did she say? Okay, let's do it. And five years later, I still remember these things. Five years later, yeah. um, she wore pants for the first time in her entire life wow. because it was too cold. And she not only moved and changed countries and did not know the, lo- the language, she moved to New York State where wow. it's very cold. Yes. <laughs> Um, so it's just things like that where um, they may sign, they may sound minor, but this is a woman that just did what it, what it takes. What it takes like she yeah. just, she, you just, you just do it. You so it's not it. only like spoken, but it was, you know, acted upon. And yes. just to briefly talk about my mother who did work, this is someone that had to leave her country, had to leave her friends. Everybody um, she knew she left behind when she was 18. She had just graduated high school and was about to start college. And initially my family, um, my grandmother, my grandfather, her and her sister moved to Spain because my grandfather was from Spain. So again, Again, new country, you're yeah. 18, new country, new everything. You leave everything behind, including their dogs. They had to leave because the government took them. Right. And, you know, that's a very critical time, you know, of your life. And she actually started school because that's what her parents wanted her to do. And when she kind of realized what they were going through and that it was all new, she said, you know what? I can't go to college right now. So I'm just going to go and start working. So yeah. at 18, she started working just to help support her family. And through through that and the time that I did get to spend with my mom, there's just tons of examples of how they have that resilience, that strength. And again, probably the confidence that just embedded within me. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. That's, that makes perfect sense. That's fascinating. Your, your 
family history. Um, I, I really admire people who are who just get up and move to another country. You know, do what they have to do, as you said. They just, you know, you got to do what you got to do um, to make make it work for you and your family. So I'm amazed by those stories. I wanted to ask you quickly about military school in Puerto Rico. You mentioned that kind of as a side comment when we were in D.C., like, oh, and by the way, um, I went to military school growing up in Puerto Rico, and I was curious, did you ever think about a career in the military? Did that ever, you know, um, cross your mind, or did you, and and did you, what did you, what was the biggest takeaway from military school? What did you, you feel was the most valuable part of that? Yes. Um, so I, I laughed, actually. <laughs> I always laugh when I say this, because it is a little bit, um, you know, unusual. But I certainly um, thought about it, because as, as I've said, I had three older brothers. We we're all in the same school, all in the military. They did their formation. We wore uniforms. Um, for girls, it was actually an option, um, which is not surprising. And uh, you're probably also going to laugh when I say this, because because at some point I said, sure, I'm going to try it too. <laughs> so uh, there I went and I wore my uniforms and my boots and did my push-ups and whatever, you know, shine my little things that I was going to supposed to put on my, on my uniform. But yeah. again, the attitude was like, sure, why not? Yeah. Um, because the worst that can happen is that I don't like it. And, and then in this case, you know, if I don't like it, I can always get out because it's a safe environment where I can try it versus, you know, enlisting myself in the army. Right. And then realizing I don't like it after six months. So, so in this particular um, case, um, I did think about it, but to be honest, I decided I did not want to do it, probably after informing myself with that one year where I <laughs> explored it, because I am, to be honest, more of a rebel, um, which is probably not a surprising. <laughs> um, and I sometimes like to challenge whatever uh, is told, especially if I have strong belief um, that it's not the right thing to do. So what I will say, though, is that from that experience, what I did learn is the importance of discipline, um, especially when you're trying to accomplish a goal. And that's not to say that you cannot be flexible or agile, but the idea of being focused, of staying true, of kind of working hard to achieve what you want to do is kind of what I wrap around this idea of discipline. And that's probably something that I would not have learned as well if I was not in military school. Yeah, I, I feel like everyone I know who went to military school develops that and it's such an important um you know, strength to have. And I sometimes think about sending, you know, my children to, to I'm thinking maybe that would be a good idea. That would really whip them into shape. Lydia, you seem so confident. And as you say, just, you know, you do what you have to do. You, you know, push through, uh, you know, any adversity. It sounds like you inherited that from your grandmother and your mother. I'm curious, though, do you ever, have you had moments when you felt less confident and maybe less successful? Or, and I'm curious what, how you, deal with those moments, how, how you deal with when you don't feel, you know, hundred percent confident or, or successful. Yes. Um, yes. So I had a defining, um, moment in my life. It was a personal experience. And, and I think, um, this was a very defining moment in my life and it still kind of till today guides me. And, and I think that's probably, again, where, where you see this confidence stemming from. So I was a freshman in college when my mom passed away from cancer. I was, like I said, 18 years old at the time. And I had just left Puerto Rico 
and eight and nine months into my freshman year, um, I'll never forget, I was called into the dean's office with one of my brothers, which was still in school with me. And we were told, hey, guys, um, your brother's called. We're giving you a leave of absence because you need to go to Puerto Rico right now. Um, I knew she was back in the hospital. She had been in remission when I started my freshman year. And then the cancer had spread. and, And frankly, within three days of me flying back to Puerto Rico, she passed away. Wow. Um, this was definitely so far in my life has been the, the low, low for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I call it a defining moment, not only because of the, the natural sadness that comes from losing a loved one, in this case, your one of your parents, yeah. um, but also because she had lost that fight. She was a fighter. Um, she had fought her entire life. And she fought uh, cancer. Like I said, she was actually in remission just like a few months before they had realized they had spread and it was too late. Um, And it didn't matter. So it kind of made me question everything in life, the purpose of the decisions that I had made. Um, Like I said, I was a freshman in college. I had just left Puerto Rico. So it made me question, why am I here? Am I here for me? Is this really what I want to do? So it was it was it was really a low low. And I guess the good news in a way is that I had that summer because it happened in the spring. So I kind of had that summer to be depressed, to think about it, to cry, to be depressed again. (laughs) And then and then figure out what what do I do? You know, kind of have those those three months to to realize my home is no longer Puerto Rico. What is my home? Because when you're somebody like that passes, um, like I said, it makes you rethink everything. Sure. So long story short, I, I, I took all that from that experience to say, she is going to be from now on my inspiration. What I do is going to be for her. Mm-hmm. And my biggest thing is that I always try. I mean, I have a lot of, of, of different quotes and things that I can think back to. But I think at the end of the day, it comes back to staying true to yourself. So she always said to me, if you do not love yourself for who you are, no one else will. And I kind of use that as a guiding principle. If you think about it in everything that you do. Because I'm never competing against anyone, whether it's like in my personal life or in my work life. I am only trying to do my personal best. And I think like when you do it that way, like it's all about you versus you kind of thing. Yeah. Um, you really handle those low moments. It's not about, oh, they don't like me or, you know, I did a bad job. It's all about, OK, what can you learn and then get up and move forward? Um, so so really, I, I would say I know it sounds simple, sad, but, but that's kind of how I get about it. Cause I always think, how can it be worse? Um, and then, and then see the possibility of how it can be really bad and then move on. That's a powerful story. Um, so when you think about your career path, people sometimes look back and say, that was a really pivotal moment. Just an example. Someone came to me, they said, um, we want you to move to another office in another country or, you know, those sort of opportunities. Has there been one that you can look back to and say, I'm really, that was such a pivotal moment for my career. And maybe, maybe at Procter and Gamble or, you know, maybe before, I don't know, but curious if you have one of those sort of pivotal moments that you can trace back to that, that really led me in a different direction or led me to a path to success that I might not have otherwise had I not experienced that moment. 
Yeah, I can probably um, talk about one that that actually led me to my decision to get my MBA. So when um, when I was in undergrad, I got the opportunity, and I was still like in engineering. I actually had the opportunity. Um, we didn't talk about this, okay. <laughs> um, but I had the opportunity to go work at Unilever, and I worked in their R and D labs at the time, research and development. Since again, my my uh, I was studying engineering. Yeah. And I loved every minute of it. I was a Unilever um, working for about eight months and I worked under personal care products and I was doing a lot of testing. Some of it was technical, just just literally trying to figure out certain products were delivering on the on the benefits um, that we tell people or they told people that um, they offered. And some of them were actually with consumers, um, giving them product to use for like two weeks and then, you know, kind of like measuring and assessing what was their experience with the product. Um, you know, they, in the terms of body lotion that we had, they deliver moisture and, and so forth. And I say this story because in that moment, I was like, man, I really love this idea of talking to people. I really love this idea of, you know, I talk about Unilever. Everybody knows what I'm talking about. I talk like if you think of brands, one of the brands that I was working on was uh, Ponds, like just these like strong heritage, like people, everybody knows kind of what you're talking about. And yeah. I, I realized I got really excited um, doing that. But at the time when I graduated from school, from, from my undergrad, um, Unilever was kind of going in a little bit of a hiring freeze. So I could not go back there. And then I thought, well, I'm going to give it a chance with, with the government because I also care about things that are environmentally friendly, sustainable. And, and, you know, I like the idea of giving back. So that's why I joined the government. But when I was working the government, although I was pretty good, it sounds like uh, what I was doing because I got promoted pretty quickly and given a lot of additional responsibility, you know, although I was in my early 20s, I always felt like there is something missing here. Mm -hmm. And like I said, despite my my quick promotions, I always thought I can do so much more like I can do so much more. And what what I realized was getting in between that was like the age, this idea of, hey, here's you. You just came out of college you, with an engineering degree. You're doing all these things that are not necessarily engineering. And then there's all these other people that have been here 20 years ago. You can like you can in, in that environment. It wasn't like, oh, you can like come in and, and you know, be everybody's boss kind of thing, um, which I understood, uh, to be honest. But yeah. I had this moment. Where, you know, one of these times where you're like working, <laughs> working a lot and you're like, why am I doing this? And, and you already have this perception that you can do more where I said to myself, man, what if I could go back to some somewhere like a Unilever, do more of this type of work? that I'm doing now, but it's not with the government, right? It's with like a Unilever or PNG. Right. But I probably in, in my current situation, although I think I'm great, I probably can't stand out because those companies get a lot of candidates. And like I said, Unilever was not the a specific place where I was looking for because of the hiring freeze, but I knew PNG was a key competitor and, you know, a great company as well. So I kind of have my eyes there. Yeah. And to be honest, that's when I thought to myself, but if I get an MBA, like one of my brothers did, yeah. I will be able to stand out because I'm Hispanic. I'm a woman. I have this technical degree. I now have some experience um, that allows me to know this is what I want. Um, but I don't have that degree. And mm -hmm. um, that's when I started looking into business school. 
Um, and like I said, it was roughly four years after, after, um, I graduated from undergrad and I think the timing was great because it allowed me to get some of that experience and then crystallize more for myself what I wanted to do. Um, and then the rest is history because I started with Procter and Gamble as an intern before I, I got, I started talking to them before I started my MBA through the fellowship that I got with the Consortium for Graduate Study Management. And then I was an intern between my first and second year of business school, and I've been with them ever since. Wow. That's a great story. Business school is a big financial commitment. So but I'm just curious, is it worth it? I think a lot of women struggle with this. You know, it's, it seems like it's getting even more expensive now. And, and you know, school, education is just more expensive than it's, you know, it just seems to be getting more and more. And, and some people question, you know, whether it's worth a financial investment. Do you feel that the MBA was worth the, the commitment that you made? Definitely. Um, yes, I would not be, I would say two things to answer that question. I absolutely would not be where I am today. If it was not for my MBA, I would probably have applied to P&G, to Procter and Gamble. And despite maybe having some of the experiences of the type of work, even like today that I can say that I had back then, I would probably have not stood out and gone into the system. Um, and have my interview and start talking to, to mentors and so forth if it wasn't because I got an MBA. Yeah. And financially, um, obviously, money is always changing and you need to consider inflation. But I can say with confidence that from the time I um, left my, my position, my full-time position, which in engineering – you start with pretty good salaries yeah. already. Yeah. Uh, and, and that was frankly, one of the things that attracted me to that sure. career in the first place. Yeah. Even though I already had a pretty good um, salary compared to some of my other friends that did not pursue a, a, a career in engineering. Mm-hmm. When I started after I got my MBA, so that first job after my MBA, I was roughly making almost twice of what wow. I was making. Right. Um, so you were able to pay so, back whatever. Is that what yeah. You're... So from the get go, um, I made the leap like that leap that I was kind of looking for, not not necessarily of who exactly is reporting to me, but, you know, again, they promote you and, and you kind of move, but you're still like in these sequential steps. I was kind of able to make a jump and yeah. then work off from that jump. Right. I was one of the lucky ones. Yes. <laughs> Although right. most people, again, I say that, but most of the people, even back then when I when I graduated, like that was true of, of most, most of everybody. them, yeah. um, that they were able to definitely leap in terms of where they were before they started their MBA. So my last question for you is, what recommendation do you have for someone to make a great impression when they're first on the job? What, in your experience now, as someone who's you know a seasoned um, professional um, working for a big company, and I know you do some recruiting as well, I'm curious what really stands out to you when you meet a new hire? What is it that you notice and think that person is going to go places. Do you, you have some tips yes. maybe for somebody? You know, um, this one is, is simple. I honestly give it, bring it back to do your research, do your homework. And this applies to really 
any situation, um, whether you're meeting someone that somebody told you, hey, you know, I'm interested in this career, um, go talk to someone and someone you don't know who they are. Well, go find out who they are. Go find out where they've been. One of the great things about the digital world today <laughs> is that you can find out pretty much every anything yes. about anyone. And, you know, to be honest, I mean, I kind of laugh for, for a while. I think like it was borderline creepy, but now <laughs> I think it's somewhat expected. I mean, I in a way, like I said, it's weird to me if somebody, um, I'm interviewing someone since you, you said I am involved in recruiting, which is true. Um, if I'm interviewing someone and they did not take the time to even figure out that I have a LinkedIn profile, that says a lot. I don't necessarily say, Oh, I'm not going to hire you, but it just kind of gives you this hint into the person. So that's what I mean when I say do your research, ask good questions because the research and the homework that you can do like to prepare for whether it's that job interview or even the school application or talking to someone that could potentially turn into your a mentor for you makes a difference and just one last tip because this happens a lot and I'll use LinkedIn again as a reference is that when you are asking and reaching out for people to help you or just ask simple questions, more than likely everybody wants to help. But it makes a difference when you literally just say, use the kind of like that, um, the the invite, like if I use LinkedIn as an example, they have the the automated message that you can use. I know what you're going to say, yes. Versus writing that personalized note that actually shares something about yourself or shares something that it is why you're reaching out to me in the first place. Right. That makes a huge difference. And I can tell you that more times than not, I will talk to the person that took the time to write the personalized note and actually say something interesting than the one that just used the, you know, automated template sort of thing. Yeah. Yeah. That's so, that's such a great tip. In fact, I'm going to use that myself. But um, that's, that's, that's great, Lydia. What a, what an awesome tip for people. So I think we're at the end. We cannot thank you enough for everything. We think so much of you. And so we really appreciate this. Um, and I know that it's going to be useful to other, you know, young women who are coming up and um, hopefully seeing some of, you know, themselves in your story. So thank you. Um, it's, it's just a pleasure to talk to you. My pleasure as well. Hi, everyone. I hope you enjoyed that interview. That was with one of our 2018 role models, or as we call them, MBAs on the move. If you'd like to learn more about the Forte Foundation, please go to www.fortefoundation.org. Thank you.